in, in a lot of ways, you know, a number of industries I'm, I'm sure are going through this. For the restaurant, this is our ultimate challenge because it's it's an existential threat for so many uh, chains, individual locations, uh, and the businesses associated with supporting the industry. It's it, you know it's wild times, but you know the um, discipline, rigor, and and not being overly aggressive, but not being under aggressive is, I think, going to be the key. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. Our goal here is to interview guests and share information that will help you run a stronger, more profitable, and more efficient restaurant operation. So in this week's episode, I'm speaking with Mr. Mark Finnegan, and he is the Chief Marketing and Information Officer for a 200-unit Western chain. It's called Waba Grill. Now, interestingly, in second quarter of 2020, when the pandemic first hit, Waba Grill registered a 40% increase in sales. Sales growth, And then they ended the year of 2020 during the pandemic with record sales. They've also been named by Nations Restaurant News as one of the top 500 performing chains. It's a fast casual concept and they focus on rice bowls and healthy proteins, grains, veggies, rice bowls, that sort of thing in a fast casual concept. So we can learn so much from a chain that grew that much during the pandemic. They obviously went through everything we all went through operating during the worst of times. So they have lots to share. So stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month, and it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this, and it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people, and if you can develop those people to have your back, and to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to, one, staff training, development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team, how to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it, and to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers, to serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business, not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break-even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important and running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you 
how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs, by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Hey everybody, it's the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we are all about helping you to transform your business. The pandemic has been the biggest challenge this restaurant has ever faced, and now we just want you to rediscover your passion for this business and reignite that fire. So with me today, Mr. Mark Finnegan, he is the Chief Marketing and Information Officer for a hot growing concept. It's called Waba Grill, 200 locations, California and Arizona, and growing. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. You know, I love talking to operators of hot concepts because there's so many key learnings for our audience, whether they are independent operators or they have a couple of multiple locations or even larger operations. There's so much we can learn from those concepts that are kind of setting the country on fire. And Waba Grill certainly is doing that. But before we get into it, let's talk about. You know, what lights you up when you're not working? What do you like to do in your <laughs> free time, if you have any free time? Well, I don't have a lot of free time, but uh, the pandemic has um, uh, caused uh, some of my uh, college-aged children to still dwell with me, uh, which is kind of, an, uh, uh, I guess, a, a redo of what we used to do when they were younger, but now they're back, stuck at home. So I'm reconnecting with uh, college-age kids, finding out all the things that I don't know about, uh, which they inform me of daily. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so we're, it's actually been an enjoyable time uh, and, and seeing how everybody's experience, experiencing this new reality uh, at, at different ages. Other than that, I'm a, a rabid Chicago sports fan, so um, I'm usually, you know, fairly depressed. Uh, most of the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing. You know, it's great to um, connect with family, especially as we emerge from the pandemic. And it's got to mm -hmm. be especially gratifying to have kids in college. I've got two teenagers and my oldest is, uh, well, she's a junior in high school. So we're, we're okay. thinking college is right around the corner. She's sort of picked out where she wants to go. I'm particularly pleased she wants to go to my business school. We've toured it already. So she's got goals and it's always great to see your kids thrive and, and succeed and have 
have big goals in mind. So I'm sure you're, you're, you're living that dream. I, yeah, I am very proud of them. So. Excellent. So Mark, let's talk about your backstory in hospitality. Did you start working at a young age in this business? Did it come later in life? Um, and how did you get to Waba Grill? Yeah, it, uh, interesting story. So I come from uh, a big Irish Italian family. So I, I used to like to uh, tell everyone that I, I got to eat the best food in the world, but I was always too drunk to know it when growing up. So, um, but I, uh, you know, my mom, uh, of all things, didn't cook. So when my great aunt who lived with us, who did all the cooking, got to a certain age where she couldn't, we started eating out. And I, I pretty much have eaten out at restaurants uh, since I was nine years old. So um, that felt like home. And so when I graduated college, uh, had a couple opportunities, but one of the ones that popped up was uh, to be able to join an agency working on the Pizza Hut business. And so uh, that's kind of how I started uh, professionally. Eventually got hired uh, by Pizza Hut um, and uh, came in and did uh, was a marketing analyst for, for them. Uh, had the opportunity to join uh Rosati's Pizza, which is uh, also a, a rapidly growing chain based in Chicago. Actually, I think it's still the largest Chicago-based uh, pizzeria in the country by units. Um, and from there, uh, moved uh, on the, the Popeye's business. Uh, so spent some time in, in that system. Uh, I guess graduated from Popeye's, moved to Wendy's, uh, had uh, marketing manager and marketing director roles. And then uh, I was with uh, IHOP uh, for a number of years, both in uh, operations services and then in uh, brand and uh, menu development. So, wow, that's a solid gold hospitality restaurant resume. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I mean, some of the leading companies out there, of course, and you've learned something from each and you've obviously extended their marketing reach. And wow, and you're bringing all that expertise now to Waba Grill, which is amazing. You know, being in this business, Mark, um, we have a tendency when we, we, when we eat out to have a very critical eye of, of restaurants and how they operate. And we know more behind the scenes than the typical guest mm -hmm. in a restaurant does. But I'm sure that that also leads to new ideas because new ideas come from anywhere. Marketing mm -hmm. ideas, menu ideas. I mean, do you, um, when you go out to restaurants, do you kind of take your restaurant hat off or do you kind of just like me sort of see things happening that the average guest wouldn't see? You know, go, going to restaurants for me has always been uh, kind of an immersive experience. Like I mentioned, it always felt like home. And I'm, I'm just fascinated by how, whether it's a chain restaurant or a mom and pop, why they do what they do, uh, what are they intentional about, um, and how do they bring that kind of unique, uh, whatever is unique about them, how do they uh, institutionalize that and, and really make it, uh, you know, something that the, the guest can depend on. And I, I think that's the, you know, especially when you're in, in a chain restaurant, I think you're looking for things that can be uh, exciting, but also familiar and predictable. And that's really the kind of the challenge is how do you, how do you balance on both sides of that edge? Because um, certainly things that are less exciting, uh, easier to reproduce, um, are more familiar and predictable exciting is a little harder to achieve on an ongoing basis. So that's really the dance uh, for, uh, I think, today's restaurants. With all your experience, was Waba on your radar at any point, or did it just sort of happen out of the blue where you recruited? Did you find the opportunity? Did you What did you see in Waba Grill that said, hey, that's my next gig? 
Yeah. So I was actually uh, re- recruited. A, a, a colleague of mine uh, was brought in to, um, you know, WABA started in 2006, uh, grew very, very rapidly, probably grew faster than uh, they even know knew what to do with and and just were were very, very successful. And then like all uh, concepts that grow quickly, they kind of got to that point of like, oh, it's not just about opening more locations. There's got to be um, some infrastructure. There there needs to be a um, a scalable uh, sort of approach to all disciplines, you know, supply chain, marketing, all all of those different things. So they brought in a, a former colleague of mine that that really um, laid the groundwork for for Waba to kind of take that next step from being a uh, a, a medium sized local, you know, uh, chain to something that could scale to to additional markets and kind of sweep across the the country uh, to use your expression how long you been with the company now mark so i started with them in uh early 2018 and um you know i i think the thing that attracted me to them when i first looked at the opportunity is is without question the the premise of the concept the food um really what was built by the owners um is so sound uh, that it um, really just needed to be put in a position where it could be discovered on a more uh, on a broader basis. And that, you know, as a marketer, uh, Kevin and I talk about uh, this. It's it's sort of a it's kind of nirvana for a marketer to come in and have something where the food backs you up on everything you do, and all you have to do is expose the right people at the right time and compete. And you know that's. Uh, that's the joy of being associated with Wawa Grill. I was going to ask you that question, but maybe you answered it, or maybe we can get in a little deeper on it. I was curious if you've seen, I'm hearing that the foundation of the original concept was very mm-hmm. sound. And I'm curious if there's been much of an evolution of the brand over time. Has it changed or is it still true to the original vision, like from start to finish? Yeah, you know, the the vision of the brand is very much uh, intact from its earliest days. You know, eat smart, be healthy is the, um, you know, sort of our our branding marching orders, if you will. Okay, And, sure. you know, it's kind of, it, you know, it's in a way, it's kind of a uniquely L.A. brand. Um, you know, L.A., there's this, you know, and I guess Southern California, California in general, there's this sort of... Um, mythology about it that you know there's this you know you can ski in the in the morning you can swim and surf in the afternoon and go to disneyland and all of those different things but you know there's some realities about uh living in southern california it's expensive uh there's tons of traffic people are pressed for time uh you want to eat healthier but you know sometimes it's hard and so the premise of waba grill was how do we um make something delicious that supports that kind of LA lifestyle, but it's got to be at on the go speed. And in that regard, um, you know, I think our uh, founders were, uh, you know, really their instincts were so pure and their ability to create something. It was so durable that it's, um, you know, we've added things to the menu, but fundamentally it's the same concept it started out to be. Well, it's ideally situated. First, we've got a couple of things in common. I worked at an advertising agency on Wilshire Boulevard in LA for a while mm-hmm. back in the early 90s. And uh, you mentioned you were working on pizza. Did you say you're working on the Pizza Hut account? I was, yeah. 
Yeah, I actually worked in the car business. I worked on the uh, Acura business for American Honda Motor Company as an account executive. And, you know, that was such a broad widening experience for me to, you know, Mm -hmm. to then apply that those marketing skills and ideas to my business later on. But I guess what I was starting to say is, you know, it's it's kind of universal knowledge that trends begin in California and then they sort of trickle east and literally globally just because of the coolness factor of California. But, you know, back when we lived, when I lived in LA, it was definitely a health conscious clientele. People were outdoor active. It's like they wanted to eat healthy. And I don't think that trend has changed at all. I think that's still spot on, isn't it? it absolutely. And and I think the thing that, uh, you know, I, I'm not from LA originally, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, but when I moved out here, one of the things you have this sort of um, sense of what, you know, cuisine in LA is going to be about, and it's cool and it's, it's inventive and it's all of these things, but it's not easy to access all the time. You know, you got to drive there. There's, you know, there's constant traffic. Um, everything's expensive. A lot of people are on a budget and to try and do something that's good for you when you're just trying to, you know, navigate all of these challenges. Um, you know, that's really where Wava Girl's sweet spot is, is that you get the benefit of all of those fast food places without having to eat fast food. Um, And that's, you know, I think the brilliance of the concept. And Waba is primarily a fast casual concept. Is there no sit in space? It's takeout, curbside delivery, that sort of thing? No, you know, uh, primarily it started out as a a sit down and and just take away. And, you know, when it, in its earliest days, you know, it was probably 80% sit down. Uh, It's very, was a very big and remains a very big lunch, uh, business. Uh, so a lot of folks leaving, you know, wherever their place of work is going, sitting down. Um, it's perfect in that regard because we're extremely fast. Um, I, I actually, uh, uh, was, uh, had an article done where, you know, we're, we didn't realize until the pandemic, how fast we were. And when some of the delivery companies started to say, you know, your service times, when something happens on a digital order and the restaurant doesn't get it, and the driver shows up and they essentially initiate the order, your average service time on those orders is faster than our average service time for all orders that are correct with all other concepts. So, um, and I think that's what people really rewarded us for. And they're like, wait a minute, it's fast, it's affordable, it tastes great, what's the catch? And I think what we're starting to expose more and more customers to is there is no catch. It's, uh, It's a concept that works. Let's dive into the menu. Now, mostly it's rice bowls with protein, vegetables, mm-hmm. grains, that sort of thing. But you also have yeah. fresh salads, of course. Mm-hmm. Is the menu, um, what's the R&D process? And how often do you add new menu items, that sort of thing? Do customers say, oh, I love this. What if you had that? Do you take customer recommendations? Or is it all just a very strategic process where you roll out new items um, for specials that are limited time only? What's, what's yeah. the strategy with the menu? Well, so if you think about the time frame uh, that I started it was 2018, there really wasn't uh, that um, a sophisticated of, of an R&D process. So um, it was primarily clean proteins, fresh vegetables, white or brown rice, either um, in a bowl format or there's a plate format, which is essentially just a little more food, a salad, and, and um, a very common plating uh, in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there, it was a Waba sauce, which is kind of a, an interpretation of teriyaki uh, sauce, and it's delicious, but that was really it. And so our R&D process started with the 
the sauces. And the consumers drive it in that it's the concept is extremely popular with with the general market. It's very popular with Asian consumers. It's also very popular with um, a Latin American consumers. And really, from an Asian consumer, Latin American consumer perspective, their palates are so much more evolved than the general market. So they really, you know, freshness cues, you know, spice combinations, those types of things. So our R and D is really focused on being a Latin Asian fusion. And so we started by expanding our sauce roster, uh, taking up the heat level. Um, we have a garlic serrano sauce, which is actually uh, something that uh, Chef Roy Choi um, came up with. And uh, it's actually his sauce that does very well. We have the spicy wava sauce now. We have a, um, uh, a, a sweet uh, chili, spicy sweet chili sauce. So we've expanded that way. And, and then we've taken a look at what other proteins can we uh, bring to the menu. So we're one of the few uh, concepts that does rice bowls that also has salmon and shrimp. Um, and we recently just introduced um, a, what is called a plant-spired steak, which is our, uh, you know, that whole uh, trend in the menu uh, development of the restaurant industry of having uh, plant-based proteins it fits, you know, into Waba Grill seamlessly. Uh, so we're, we're really excited about that. Frankly, our biggest new product introduction was dumplings. So uh, actually a side item and they're just wildly popular. So with the Waba sauce or, <laughs> or yeah, your choice of sauce. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. What's in the dumpling? So they're, they're uh, pork and veggie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to work through, uh, kind of waiting to see with some of our partners, uh, what is new in the, the veggie only space. You know, we don't know if we want to go with something that's a, a vegetarian, uh, dumpling or a meat inspired, uh, dumpling that's just made with plant-based protein. So we're, you know, that's kind of next, next up. Did you roll that out in a couple test locations as a beta before it went out to the network itself? Or do you focus group? Do you have tests with, um, you know, good customers, that sort of thing? Like, what's that process? Yeah, I, I think because my background's with bigger brands, you know, I started out with with pizza, which was very, very data forward, very, you know, customer centric. Uh, a lot of those, you know, techniques for figuring out what customers think of what you're doing. And then having a base of company restaurants that you could test them in. So we, you know, we introduced that kind of discipline and rigor to the brand and uh, all of the things you mentioned we do. Um, you know, we uh, have uh, somebody who's in charge of, of product development um, and we do a lot of uh, customer intercepts, really let the customer kind of drive. You know, we may come up with the idea or try to identify the trend, but we really let the the uh customer be the court uh, of final uh, opinion on, on what we roll out. What's the vibe of a typical Waba Grill? If you could sort of visualize for our audience and bring us into a typical location, what do we see? What do we smell? What do we feel? What's the staff interaction like? Is there a lot of action behind the counter? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, it's a pretty neat uh, setup. So, you know, the early on, uh, our founders wanted a little bit of food theater. So you can kind of see all the proteins being chopped. You can see them being uh, uh, cooked and and finished off. Um, You can watch things being plated. Um, And, you know, I I kind of identified early on in, in my own experience that, you know, it looks like 
they don't take anything too seriously except for the food. So, you know, the vibe is very accessible, digital menus, uh, a lot of color, uh, sort of a lot of celebration of the um, uh, attributes that make the, the food special, which is uh, sort of unapologetically uh, clean and, and fresh and uh, nothing to hide. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the vibe that I think people identify with right away. Fantastic. What's a typical location? Like, obviously, you you carefully select locations for new mm-hmm. units and that sort of thing. Are you sort of strategically looking for other anchors that that may enhance what you're offering now, like larger stores that are a big draw? Is it heavy traffic areas? Is it neighborhoods? Like, what what is the location dynamic? Yeah, that's uh, shifting quite a bit, obviously, with COVID. But, you know, basically, it started out as an inline concept, you know, perfect for uh, a strip mall. From a franchise uh, perspective, it's it's a relatively low investment. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always been that's really been a passion point for our, our founders. Um, and, and it's a fairly high margin business. So, um, you know, you can get a lot of throughput, especially because of the speed out of a, you know, fairly small inline uh, location. Uh, that you know just turns a lot of customers very very quickly. Um, we do have some drive-through locations. Those have uh, exploded in terms of their uh, throughput. Um, the other thing is, you know, we the the original uh, sort of floor plans didn't really envision a digital uh, component to the business, but um, because the concept so. Uh, lifestyle oriented in a way all the locations are kind of already set up in a way that you know we can accommodate digital ordering and we've recently just rolled out a, a new um, future design that's going to drive our remodel program and all of our new builds that sort of envisions more kind of an upfront uh, commitment to uh, digital ordering which is you know a rel- we were relatively late entrant to that space but we've you know made some some moves that made us uh really set us up for kind of unexpected success i guess during the pandemic so that um you know it really worked out you know it's it's incredible because the pandemic has devastated much of this industry but there are certain concepts that have really really thrived and yours seems to be one of them but last year were the best sales in company history so yeah. did the pandemic not affect waba grill at all or what were the what you know what were the <laughs> lasting implications of when it first hit and all that how did you achieve record sales yeah so you know and, and again kind of kind of um starting with my history in 2018 we we're really just starting to build an infrastructure first thing we had done is uh, we moved to a cloud-based pos system uh we at the time weren't really uh, some franchisees had started with digital ordering through third-party delivery companies but um the majority of the system wasn't on anything we quickly you made a move into that space. And what we were kind of putting in the product pipeline uh, were things like a value menu, family meals. Um, those were things that kind of we were moving towards prior to the pandemic hitting. Well, all of a sudden the pandemic hits and, you know, there's this, you know, we were hit just like everybody else. You know, we had shutdowns uh, initially. Um, and and we had a, an eight week period where like, I think like everybody else, it looked kind of grim. 
And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, what's our response going to be? And we kind of looked at what we were going to do anyway. We said, this is exactly the recipe for how you would respond to this situation. Let's um, move aggressively on digital ordering. Let's roll out family meals. Let's roll out the the value menu because all the the consumer need states that were driving those initiatives are just magnified now with the pandemic. So um, we just move forward. And that's, I think what was so surprising is the combination of moving to digital marketing, digital ordering is a, is a primary focus, introducing value and in, in family meals was the recipe for uh, what it took to navigate, you know, a pandemic where people are locked at home, uh, not at the office, um, and they need uh, additional options than maybe the two or three, four places that they did delivery from. You know, they're, they're eating there every day of the week. They expanded their options. And as soon as we get uh, in the consideration set for a consumer, we outperform uh, a lot of their other choices. So that's our competitive advantage, I think. Okay, fantastic. Let's talk about company culture. Mm-hmm. How would you define that for Waba Grill? Yeah, so the the, the company uh, culture, um, we have uh, you know three visionary founders uh, that uh, in general were, were very conservative, very franchisee forward. So really every decision that they made, um, you know, they did right by the food, they set up the concept the way they wanted to. But, you know, at that point, a lot of owners kind of look at, okay, well, what's good for our business and how can franchisees play a role in that? They kind of looked at it differently. They're like, how can we do right by the franchisee? Let's not do anything that would make it more difficult for them to not get a return on their investment. And that's really the fundamental premise. Uh, our CEO, Andrew Kim, who, um, uh, you know, has been had been the uh, general counsel for uh, Wava Girl since they started, and and recently became the CEO. That's his his singular focus is how do we become an organization that does better by its franchisees than you know we did the day before. So I think that's the number one culture piece. And then they've kind of turned over to the executive team. You focus on taking care of the customer, and and what what is it that we need to make the brand accessible, to operate it. Um, and a lot of small companies, a lot of private companies struggle to make investments. Um, our owners, you know, they make big bets on the, the tools and resources we need. Uh, they don't balk it. Uh, so we have world-class tools that a lot of brands our size would struggle to justify investing in, And but it's paid off. Uh, and I think that's um, we've gone from really being, I think, behind the curve technologically and, and from digital ordering to kind of, in some regards, lapping the field and, and you know, playing uh, offense versus defense. You know, there's not an let's let's move on to talk about labor. Um, there's not an operator out there, whether it's a single independent unit or it's a chain that's not been affected by this labor crisis right mm-hmm. now. And everybody wants to know, how do we solve this? What's a solution? What can we do? You know, mm-hmm. I'm struggling to just put out the food. It's like I, I'm short staffed. I'm working 24 seven. I got to close certain days because I don't have the staff to handle it. I'm missing business. I mean, these are some of the industry woes right now. How has it affected Waba Grill? And do you have any um, ideas? ideas that have worked for your business that can work for others? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely put pressure on our operators. A lot of the things that that you said, some of our original franchisees, it's very much still a family uh, operated business. So it's a, you know, a lot more family members working a lot more hours. You know, we've um, gradually as we've as the the brand has evolved, we're leaning on more larger franchise groups that you know may have additional concepts uh, under their umbrella and, and have more of an infrastructure to go and recruit. But you know, we're doing some of the basic things that everybody's doing. We're relooking at wages, uh, looking at um, you know paying for referrals, uh, and um, looking at different tools to get our job offerings out in, in front of folks. But I think the one of the ways we're addressing it is because of our operation and kind of how the the food production scales. We can drive a lot of business through our digital channels without adding a lot of headcount. Um, and so, you know, we're part of the the response to the um, lack of ease in hiring is to try and accelerate how fast we're driving folks to, if they don't switch all of their occasions to a digital channel, a portion of them, you know, and really incentivizing them to, you know, hey, there's you can get whatever you want at Wava Grill, but if you get it through this uh, channel, there's more of an incentive for, for you to do that. And, you know, we're the one place that's really affected us is we have a couple, we're going to um, open the brand in Bakersfield, California, which is one of our first outer, outer, outer markets in a while. Mm-hmm. And they're struggling to, to get um, the initial staff uh, filled out and, and of course trained, um, because there just aren't, uh, there isn't a lot of demand for restaurant jobs. So I think that's where it's it's impacting us. But in our existing restaurants, you know, we're kind of keeping a lot of that pressure at bay by you know driving more digital ordering. Let's talk about delivery. What percentage is um, delivery to your business? Yeah. So we are. Um, well, I'll, I'll take it this way. We are. Uh, about 25% of our business now is through digital channels. So that um, encompasses, we have um, an internal delivery channel, which uh, is uh, fulfilled by DoorDash, but that comes through our app or our website. Uh, we partner with the, the four major um, third-party delivery companies. Uh, but one of the exciting things, and it's it's actually um, uh a trend that that a few folks in the industry re- who really have their finger on on the pulse of this, you know, we're still about of our digital ordering about seventy five percent of that is pickup, and either in a in a curbside format, which is a very low percentage, but really traditional pickup of I don't want to necessarily deal with another human being, but I want to walk into the restaurant and pick up my food, and um, that is actually the fastest growing channel that we have. Um, all the channels are growing, uh, third-party delivery, internal delivery, and pickup, but pickup's growing the fastest. And so, you know, we're um, supporting that trend. You know, we're trying to, we, we've recently launched an, an LMS effort, and our um, uh, chief training officer is really focused on how do we uh, make sure that that pickup experience is as intentional as any other kind of experience that we have. Because a lot of times pick up, you know, here's your bag, you know, and, and, and you know, next, uh, that's, you know, if that channel is going to be the most popular, then it should be 
uh, get as much attention and as much training as anything else we do. You know, one trend sort of emerged from the pandemic, and that was communication with the guest, which mm-hmm. became so important to get business back, to explain safety protocols, to explain challenges the operator was having that sort of explains, you know, service limitations. You know, being honest and authentic with the customer really went such a long way, even in, in my own business. Did uh, yeah. Waba Grill do any of that in terms of every order had some note in the bag or a, a unique way of communicating with the guests when, when the pandemic first hit? And are you still doing any of that? Yeah, we are. Um, and, and actually, uh, it's something that makes me really proud uh, to be associated with Waba Grill. We, we, we sat in those early meetings, I think, when everybody was you know, across the restaurant businesses, like, what are we going to do with this loss in revenue? How, you know, are, are we going to go out of business? All of those kind of conversations that were happening in offices all over the country. Our uh, CEO and our, uh, our, the owner said, what do we need to do for the customer? What does the customer need right now that we can help with? So they actually sourced um, gel packs of sanitizer because if you recall there was a time when sanitizer was in short supply oh absolutely what what whatnot and so you know the the reaction was okay well sales are way down we're going to add this cost and they're like yeah not only are we going to do that we're going to pay for it you know so we'll just send them to the franchisees uh, initially and let's get sanitizer out to our customers um they it never got to that point but they were actively working on Hey, if people can't find masks, let's deliver a mask with every order. So, and and we would communicate um, things to the customer in a way of, like we we um, stopped charging for delivery uh, as soon as the pandemic hit because the view was, hey, is that a is that a promotional thing that we could take advantage of? Well, may, maybe, but really the intention was, people are having to spend a lot more money to get food. Some of them are out of work. You know, the the budget in the household is under a lot of pressure. That's something we could do. You know, we could suffer a little bit along with them. And, you know, we didn't over communicate that, but but customers got it. And we got a lot of feedback from guests of like, you know, you were there for me. You know, we were all stuck at home. You rolled out these family meals. I'm stressed. You know, we start. We then went back. Heard customers say we weren't delivering drinks, and they went back and said, "Yeah, this is fantastic. I still have to go to the grocery store and get." Okay, we'll figure. And we figured out how to deliver. You know, um, you know, bottled beverages at a at a discount. So um, that authenticity, and I think there's a lot of brands who did that. You know, maybe not the majority, but a lot of them really made it about what is the customer going through, and how can we play a role in. Uh, getting through this together. And customers got that authenticity. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've had, you know, 2021 is explosive for us because things are recovering. And I know it's choppy with Delta variant and, and whatnot. But I think people like ordering from Waba Grill because the next thing that happens, I think they figure we'll probably be there for them at that point too. Let's switch to marketing, your specialty. And this is a two-part question. You know, many franchise um, companies have, in addition to a standard royalty, they also charge a marketing fee that then up-levels the the chain or the network. What is your marketing strategy exactly? And what has proven to be most effective in in doing just that for your franchisees? Yeah. So, you know, if Waba Grill had an 
when I joined had an Achilles heel. It was that because they were so focused on franchise return on investment, they kept all their fees low. So we have one of the, the lowest marketing accruals of any brand that has our number of restaurants. So very early on, when I kind of looked at, you know, how do we sort of upgrade and formalize a marketing approach that's a system-wide, you know, growing brand approach. And my first reaction to that was, well, if we just follow a formula that exists, we're going to get our clock cleaned because we can't spend the money that, that you know, even our most basic competitors right, right. Were, were spending. I see that. So, so we, we very quickly made the pivot to going all digital in our advertising and really starting on a journey to get to kind of a one-to-one marketing relationship with with consumers, some of it automated and some of it opportunistic based on weather or holidays, current events or or whatnot. And we we invested very heavily in things like uh, text-based marketing and um, uh, customer data platforms and things that, you know, I mean, the year before we were heavy on, you know, doing outdoor and, and freestanding inserts. And then, you know, a year later, we're, we're doing kind of cutting edge digital work. So, and I think that's been another piece that has allowed us to, uh, to scale our marketing efforts more quickly because we're not getting to as many people as some of our competitors are, but our batting average when we do get to those customers is a lot higher. And, and that's, that's a formula that's been working for us. All right. Fantastic. Now, Nation's Restaurant News is one of my favorite publications, and I've been reading that forever since I've been in the business, <laughs> but you've been named one of the top 500 performing chains by Nation's Restaurant News, which mm-hmm. begs the question, how do you maintain that all-important consistency across all your units so that and, and, you know, any franchise is all about consistency and standardization because you want your guests to get the very same mm-hmm. experience in every unit, no matter which one they visit so that they, they yeah. could be in any unit and they know this is exactly what my expectations are. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you maintain that consistency? It, well, it's a, it, it's a challenge. I think you're right. Every, every restaurant uh, company that um, wants to grow its footprint, um, that had kind of better be job number one, because, you know, you can get people in, but if you disappoint them, it's going to be a lot harder, a lot more expensive to get them back in. Yes. And fortunately I have some, you know, business partners that are, you know, very experienced restaurant operators, restaurant trainers, and kind of following in a a way the same formula we are for marketing, a a lot of technology. Uh, We've made a real commitment to uh, doing our training digitally and, and putting, training videos together instead of just standard job aids and, and ops manuals. So we can get uh, training in early and often to all new hires. And then I think there's been a, a much a broader commitment to, you, you know, you move what you measure. And so putting a lot of measurement systems in place of those things that are the most indicative of customers having a uh, acceptable, repeatable experience then we measure the heck out of them, and then we take action when when folks are uh, maybe not paying as much attention to those things as, as possible. And part of the culture, and, and I think it's why it's important to have strong relationships with their franchisees, is you know that's uncomfortable because a lot of them started in a era when hey, we just opened the doors, we had more business than we knew what to do with, and you did the best you could. Um, when that 
you know, sort of easy money, I guess, goes away and you have to really start. Um, I, one of our fav- my favorite quotes and something that we, we repeat in a lot of meetings is Michael Jordan one, once answered a question of like, why are you so much better than essentially, I'm a Chicago fan. So I, yes, yes, I'm going to you know, editorialize, but, um, and, and he said, well, and his, his answer wasn't that he was more gifted or he was, he's like, Hey, you know, being a champion begins with command of the fundamentals and the fundamentals never change only your attention to them. And, you know, that's like that. really our mantra is, is paying attention to those fundamentals and making sure that we try and get better at those on a daily basis. That's fantastic. Now we talked quite a bit about your extraordinary sales success. And obviously there's a lot of repeat business that contributes to that sales success is your rewards app, but, foundational element of that? Is that really working for you? And if so, please describe how it works. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, one of the, the moves we made when we made uh, the commitment to go to, to digital ordering is we integrated our uh, rewards program with our app. So our, our app is actually provided by our loyalty partner. Um, and it just becomes, you know, kind of the central feature. It's very easy to redeem rewards. It's very easy to get rewards. And you know what we have found is that um, when we advertise and drive people to the app, or you can have a rewards account and use the mobile web or, or whatnot, that you know those folks are more likely to be apostles for the brand. Um, they're they spend more, and they come more often than anybody else. So it's you know really easy to. Uh, make the commitment to spend a disproportionate amount of our funds on getting people to start that journey, getting them to sign up for the app for the first time, you know, getting, giving them an award uh, or reward, you know, at their first purchase so they can see how easy it is to use. And, you know, it's, um, you know, there's discounts involved because we're giving away free items when people earn their points, but it, um, it I, you know, it is, something that's becoming more ubiquitous amongst bigger chains, but it is meaningful to people that, you know, Hey, I'm recognized for what I do at your establishment on an ongoing basis. And, you know, whether it's just a, an extra visit a month, you know, an extra visit every three months or whatnot, it adds up. And, you know, we're, our, so our focus, you know, th- for the rest of this year and into next year is driving as much, uh, usage of those uh, programs is possible. Can you mention who that loyalty partner is that you partnered with on this app? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a punch. And then it's, uh, we do that in conjunction with with Olo. Uh, so they're, you know, punch and Olo are separate organizations, but they're, you know, they're very hand in glove and they're working relationships. So it's been very productive. Excellent. Fantastic. Let's talk about the franchise opportunity. And obviously, um, it, it is a growing opportunity. And this pandemic, if it's done nothing, it's created lots of open space and it's created new optimism and opportunity for the future. So there are members of our audience that might be looking for a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. What are the qualifications that you're looking for? I got the sense that you know your fees are lower and that your founders really, really care about giving people opportunities. So let's yeah. let's talk a bit about you know what the franchise opportunity is all about. Yeah, so you know, in the the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area, you know, we think there's still room uh, to add Wava Grills. Uh, we're still in a process, really deciphering what happened in the pandemic and 
what is the the final outcome because I don't think we've reached that point as we to you know uh, who's going to be there and what's going to happen to real estate and, and open spots. So that that's sort of we set that aside. You know, okay. we're kind of still looking at that. I think when we're looking at um, outer markets, you know, we're kind of at that uh, place where what what got us started was you know building one restaurant with one franchisee and maybe they were were replacing a job with owning a restaurant. And, um, you know, we still will do that, but our focus is, is more on, you know, attracting, uh, operators with experience and, and have some infrastructure. So, you know, going into a marketplace where maybe you have a franchisee of another concept that, um, is landlocked, they're built out, but they have an HR person, they have, you know, trainers, they have, you know, district managers, and they're ready to grow, but they can't with their existing concept, you know, so we're, we're looking at, at that. And um, obviously, given our performance, and with the dust settling from COVID, you know, we're even rethinking some of our, you know, criteria, um, just because in, in our history, we never had to really look at you know, multi-unit deals and, and those types of things. We just had enough of a pipeline and our existing franchisees did well enough that they kept wanting to add restaurants. So now we're, we're being a little more intentional with, you know, trying to uh, go to some of these outer markets. Because one of the, the challenges, as you well know, you take a brand that's really solid in its, in its uh, home market. And we definitely don't want to be that brand that has, hey, 200 stores in, in LA and kind of Phoenix. And then all of a sudden there's one in new Orleans and there's one in Buffalo and there's, you know, we're, we, we want to build some scale in the markets that we go to and we want to go along for the ride. So we want to have skin in the game with our franchisees uh, to try and get to brand awareness faster than we, we did when we first started. And, uh, you know, with some of the tools we have and with the, the evolution of digital marketing, you can do that. But at the end of the day, you still need more than one restaurant and, and a marketplace to start to you know lock in a, a loyal customer base. So you know, that's really our focus right now. What would be the next area of growth that you'd be looking at? Other warm weather areas where people are outdoor active, large population centers. Um, what do you see that down the road? You know, uh, so our our focus is sort of trying to emanate out from Southern California. So we, you know, Bakersfield is an area of focus, you know, we're certainly going to look at Nevada and um, look at uh, building out more stores in, in uh, Arizona, but, you know, we're, we want our supply chain. Um, we want to be very disciplined and, and rigorous. You know, we're, we're sort of in that size and place with the momentum we have that it's very tempting to start you know, pushing out beyond what you're ready to support. And so, um, and that's, I think, you know, what I value about our leadership um, is they want to be as successful as anybody else. They're as competitive as anybody else, but they're not reckless. And that fundamental premise of, hey, I don't want a franchisee out there that is in a place that we are going to struggle to support. And, you know, maybe that makes us go a little bit slower, than, than somebody else, but we certainly won't step in a hole like many brands have that kind of got ahead of their skis and, uh, you know, couldn't support the, their ambitions. 
Do you have an exclusive relationship on purchasing with um, larger suppliers for obviously leverage and economies of scale and that sort of thing? You know, so we, we have um, historically been able to use a, a uh, local uh, supplier that serviced the the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. But you know, obviously, as we're we're moving to some other uh, areas that we're we're having to relook at those relationships. Fortunately. Um, Given the executive team's background at, at Waba Grill, we've all worked with you know a lot of the the big players, and uh, it, it's you know as challenging as the restaurant business is, the distribution game is right now um, equally, if not more, challenging. It, uh, you know, it's um, they're they're getting it from you know both ends in terms of labor supply, um, you know, bringing uh, goods in from from overseas. So, you know, we're in discussions with uh, a number of, of the major uh, suppliers to kind of set us up for our next phase of growth. But we're, we're again, being very conservative and making sure that, you know, there isn't another shoe to drop that, that sort of leaves us hanging in a marketplace that we thought we were going to be supported in, but we're, you know, struggling to you know, get that follow through. Yeah, that's another challenge that the industry is facing and that supply chain issues are affecting suppliers as well. And the labor shortage is affecting suppliers and, you know, their lack of warehouse pickers and truck drivers and you can't get your mm -hmm. deliveries and, and that sort of thing. So all these challenges are negatively impacting the business. Yeah, oh, it's it, in, in a lot of ways, you know, a number of industries I'm, I'm sure are going through this. For the restaurant, this is our ultimate challenge because it's it's an existential threat for so many uh, chains, individual locations, uh, and the businesses associated with supporting the industry. It's, it, you know, it's wild times, but, you know, the um, discipline, rigor, and, and not being overly aggressive, but not being under aggressive is, I think, going to be the key. And uh, it, you know, it'd be cliche for me to say it's unlike anything we've, we've ever seen, but it is mm -hmm. unlike it anything we've ever seen. <laughs> it absolutely is. What would you, what would you say your best advice is um, just for operators? If they've survived to this point, it's like, what's the future look like and what would you tell them to keep going and just move forward in a positive direction? Yeah. I, I think the, the first thing is you got to maintain hope. Um, you know, a, a restaurant um, experience, and I, you know, going back to my childhood, um, you have a bad day, but, you know, hey, we're going to go to fill in the blank. And it's, you're hopeful that you're excited about what you're going to eat and, and that you're going to get away and, and maybe sit down, be with your parents, be with your friends, be whatever. So the operators have to remain hopeful. And then I think the, uh, the other key is, is got to be discipline and, and rigorous about the decisions that you make, but you can't be too conservative. You, there's, you got to seize the opportunities that, that present themselves. Um, and it's tough because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of operators who just want to curl up in a ball and, you know, hope it all goes away, but it won't, um, you know, it, it won't unless we make it go away. And so I think that's the, the, the advice is, Hopeful aggression. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, excellent. Thank you so much for sharing time with us today, Mark. Um, the website, of course, is wabagrill.com. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see the audience in our next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for sharing all that great information, Mark. You know, it's clear to me that Waba Grill has all the systems dialed in that operation because it really comes down to controls, both financial controls, marketing controls, a real plan for everything. And that's really what a system is. You know, when we're talking about financial controls, there are so many different things that restaurant operators are missing. They're leaving thousands of dollars on the table that I've seen in my experience with the clients I've worked with, with the clients that I hope to work with and operators that I talk to. You know, it's it's amazing how much is not being done that is so critical to a, an effective, profitable restaurant operation, such as you know, calculating your true food, beverage, and labor costs and knowing what your sweet spot is and knowing what your daily break even is and having budgets and really dialing things in. I can't tell you how many restaurants I've come across that are busy restaurants, especially now during the pandemic, and they're filling their seats, but they're just not making any money. Their bank account is not growing, and that's because they don't have a handle on those financial controls and ways in which they can maximize their profit. So why not check out our Finances 101 program? It's a complete crash course in restaurant finances. If you hate numbers or you're terrible at math, it doesn't matter. We make it super simple. You know, it's a series of 14 audio tutorials. And when I mean audio, you press the play button and in three to five minutes, it explains all these concepts and it helps you put these systems in place. And it teaches you what those numbers are and what they mean and where to find them and how to plug them into 14 fully automated Excel spreadsheets that we also provide. It also tells you about common mistakes that restaurant owner operators and managers have made and how to avoid those mistakes and then what the end result should look like and what the sweet spot should be. It's a complete, like I said, crash course. And as a bonus, it also includes a book that I wrote called Rock Your Restaurant, and it really chronicles my 27-year journey in the restaurant business, starting with no experience, starting a high-volume, high-profit, wood-fired pizzeria that turned into a bar and everything else, and all the you know, mistakes I made early on and all the pitfalls and challenges that I ran into and then how I really started to crank this place and really make money. And there's so many key learnings there as well. So it's entertaining. You can read the book. It also comes in an audio version and all this is included. And it's sort of a, you know, a prelude to the financial course. It talks about all these financial concepts and what I did and how I systemized my restaurants. And then it gives you the template to do the very same thing. So why not check out our Finances 101 course at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks again to our sponsors, Cisco and Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform. And please leave us a question. You know, you can go to the show notes for this episode and about halfway down the page, you'll see a button and it says, ask us anything. You can leave a recorded message for me. I'll answer it. And then uh, I may in fact share it on the air in the future, in a future episode of the podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.